Hello and welcome to the Splattercast episode four. I can't believe we're on episode four already. Uh, today, Adrian and I are going to be talking about Revenge, which is a 2018 film directed and written by French director Coralie Fargeau. Uh, we love this movie. Uh, we were just talking about how not enough people talk about this movie. Um, it needs to be out there. More people need to see this movie. Um, I do want to provide a content warning. We are going to talk a little bit about sexual assault because that is ingrained in this film. It's a rape revenge film. Uh, and so I just wanted to say that. I also wanted to say that we might have more spoilers in this episode than we normally do just because I feel like I really want to talk about every aspect of this film and that is going to include some spoilers about everything that happens. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. about a young woman named Jen. She is going out to the desert to her boyfriend's sort of like desert oasis. He's very rich. He's very married. He's a lot older than she is. <laughs> uh, she arrives there and his hunting trip buddies whom he's meeting later come early. They see Jen. She's very beautiful, very feminine. Um, and shit goes sideways, uh, because men are terrible. <laughs> Smash the patriarchy. Fuck the patriarchy. Adrian, chime in with me. I, Say uh, it. I'm just, yeah, fuck the patriarchy. Fuck my the God. patriarchy. Fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> uh, yep. As Richard says at the end of this movie, ironically, women always have to put up a fight. Yeah. Yeah, so um, this definitely is the men in this film are, you know, toxic masculinity defined. 
Um, but there is just a lot of messaging in here that I think is so relevant and feels so real. And mm-hmm. uh, this actually was released right as the Me Too movement was gaining steam. Um, and which is another reason why I think it's so weird that a lot of people don't talk about this movie as as much as I would like to see it talked about. Um, it is it just like really gives a middle finger to the male gaze. Uh, I love so much about it. I, I love that Jen is this feminine, you know, creature and she doesn't I think a lot of times when you have a woman in horror films, she kind of she can tend to morph towards the masculine side um and that Mm -hmm. does not really happen here like she's always it's she's clearly like very feminine feminine Mm -hmm. yeah totally but strong and capable and what's so so I, i might be pulling this in a direction we weren't planning to start with but what i love about this movie and what you said uh before is that there's so much messaging that feels so real and what the director's approach to make so many elements of this over the top um, in action and kind of unreal in, in a way that I enjoy is such a good juxtaposition. You know, like there are a lot of things that um, our hero Jen does and survives that probably you couldn't survive IRL, but that like just makes it that yeah. much better. It just makes it this like perfect exploitation film in a way that I, I have never seen before. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was trying to go uh she i was listening to some interviews and watching some interviews today with um both Corlie Corlie and the woman who plays Jen Matilda Lutz and they were mentioning you know that this is uh they did not say the only film but like one of the only film one of the only rape revenge genre films directed by a woman mm-hmm. and i really could not think of another rape mm-hmm. revenge film directed by a woman um no. So there are a couple. If any I... listeners know, shoot them, shoot them over. But yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Not at all. I was going to say there are a couple directed by men that oddly I, I still like, but I cannot think of another one directed by a woman. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for me, I'm actually a sexual assault survivor. And so I deliberately do not watch a lot of this subgenre. Um, because I've seen a few and it's been very traumatic for me. So like I have not seen I Spit on Your Grave. I just kind of don't have any interest in seeing that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen The Last House on the Left because I'm a Craven fangirl. Uh, and that is hard to watch. Um, but yeah, there's something very different about the way that uh, Fargo does the assault scene in this. So let's let's start from the beginning, though. Let's talk about it the beginning of this because there's definitely a lot of Lolita-esque imagery happening uh, during from the first shot when Jen and Richard her boyfriend arrive in the helicopter again there's like a lot of nods there's a lot of signals that Richard is a very rich and powerful man um, and his friends are also rich and powerful and so you know when they pull up in the helicopter like she is she's looking very Lolita. She's got sort of uh, the sun, the similar sunglasses. She's sucking on a lollipop. You know, the first thing she does when they get inside is is seduce him. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to set us up for everything that's going to happen, um, 
Farjo has Richard say to her, like, you drive me completely crazy. So it's already like, it's like sort of hinting towards this, like, it, this is her fault, all of these things that happen from here on out. Mm -hmm. This is, this is her problem. Like, this is the reason that, that all these things happen to her is because she's just too beautiful and she's asking for it, essentially. Um, so then, you know, they, they, they have sex and, uh, Jen goes out. She, she wanders out in her, in her panties and a crop top to get some water and she's got her headphones on uh, and she takes a bite of an apple. She turns around and she sees two super creepy dudes in full hunting gear with automatic weapons yeah. outside the, the glass window just staring at her and like literally salivating. Like it is so gross. They are just staring at her. And this is, uh, I have to give some credit to Matilda Lutz. She is such a good actress. You can just see on her face, like she's shocked and she's scared, but she very quickly just molds her face into like being okay. Like she just is like, like almost like a shade goes over her and she kind of like turns towards the bedroom and calls Richard out. And I'm like, yeah, girl, like, cause it, that's, what else are you going to do? Like mm -hmm. you're vulnerable and you're standing there. You don't know who these guys are. Um, so you have to just sort of pull it together. Yeah. And so many people, so especially white men don't understand how many other groups of people have to perfect that ability to mask. Oh yeah. For safety. I know. Yeah. Um, it's just like, as a woman watching this, I'm like, oh my God, yes. Like, <laughs> I know that feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Richard comes out, he's kind of pissed off because his buddy showed up a day early. Uh, they're complaining about how they could, they had to like drive because the helicopter was broken. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> oh God, oh no. Uh, so this is Stan and Dimitri. Um, those are the two dudes. Mm -hmm. So they come in, you know, and she's still, Jen is still kind of like, of course, Richard does not introduce her because she's, who cares? She's like nothing. Uh, and then finally, uh, he introduces them to her and she just does another, like sort of like she's very like masked and she just kind of walks off into the bedroom and the two men are, you know, staring at her ass the whole time. And then after she leaves, they're like making jokes like, you know, how's the wife, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then, you know, the, the day goes on and everybody starts to relax and Jen gets more comfortable with these guys being around because, like, they're friends of her boyfriend and she trusts her boyfriend, right? Even though he's married, even though he's, like, talking on the phone to his wife and she can hear him lying to his wife. Um, right. With, you know, like, that throwaway line, like, the classic, the dude, like, oh, if only the kids were involved, I would totally leave her. I'm like, yeah, he's never leaving her. So yes, exactly. <laughs> never. <laughs> um, so everybody relaxes and, and they have a little pool party. You know, they get drunk, they get a little high, they turn up the music. Uh, Jen is gorgeous. The men are staring at her all day. There's this amazing scene where Dimitri has these binoculars and he's got them trained like right on her lips. And it is so disturbing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet again, like, so uh, absolutely. Like he's just, just staring at her lips and just like watching her. And then 
Stan is like flirting, like openly flirting with her, you know, mm-hmm. telling her she's she's gorgeous and making jokes about leaving his wife to run off with her. And, you know, Jen is just like drunk and having fun. And she's like, you know, just laughing it off as you do. Right. Especially with something that threatening. Like, I'm yeah. Going to, I'm going to run off with you. You never indicated that you would be interested in that. And I'm playing it as a joke. But yeah. I'm planting seeds of ownership over mm-hmm. our interactions already. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, so she's, she just, you know, she's in party mode, as you would be in the middle of the desert at this gorgeous villa mm-hmm. with this amazing view. Um, and so she wants to dance with her boyfriend, and Richard says no, and so Stan volunteers, and so... You know, she does some dirty, she does a little dirty dancing with Stan. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's kind of like rubbing up against him. Now, to me, it's obvious that she is doing this in order to rev Richard up. So, like, right. when I'm watching this, I see her doing this, and I'm like, oh, she is, like, just, she is in her power right now. Like, she is gorgeous and luminous, and she is doing this because she wants Richard to pay attention to her. Right. It literally has nothing to do with Stan. (laughs) So, but Stan, of course, thinks it has everything to do with him. And he gets upset when Richard literally throws Jen over his shoulder and takes her off to the bedroom. You know, he's like, hey, like, basically, he wants to share. He thinks Richard should be sharing Jen Mm -hmm. with them. Because, again, she's not she's not a wife. She's not, quote unquote, important. She's just this this little thing you've picked up along the way you know you already own a woman so this one should be up for sharing up for grabs and Mm -hmm. uh and they don't treat her like she's particularly smart either um you know he's when he's asking her what she does she says she wants to move to LA and you know sort of indicate that she wants to be an actress or or something and he's like ha 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 like oh that's so silly you know Mm -hmm. um but uh, also something interesting to note is like all of these scenes that are taking place from the arrival in town are very candy colored. They're they're very there's pops of deep pinks and blues and um, it's this very sort of happy feeling. Even though there's some moments of nervousness, it feels very different than later on in the film when the colors change. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have our party. Uh, we go back to bed with our boyfriend. <laughs> we wake up in the morning and Richard has gone. Oh, no. Here's yeah. Stan. Uh, here's Stan. And Stan has prepared breakfast for Jen and himself. Um, and so she's already like, where's Richard? And, you know, Stan's like, oh, he, he won't be back for hours. He went to go get permits. Mm-hmm. Um he nods towards the pool where Dimitri is floating in the pool with, like, a newspaper over his head and says, like, and, uh, you know, Dimitri has a hangover, and that'll be ours as well. So it's just the two of us. It's I'll, just us just all alone. I just pop in there to say he indicates Dimitri floating in the pool, which um, there's a lot of themes, thematic things getting set up in this first quarter of the film, and that is a beautiful foreshadowing to his story. Um, that I only picked up this most recent time watching. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So, uh, so Jen at this point, like, um, 
Stan leans over and kind of rubs some lotion into her back that she had missed. And it's just such a, again, it's like such a, a grabby, unwanted gesture. Mm-hmm. Um, and he clearly thinks that, like, he's entitled to this. Uh, so she is immediately uncomfortable. She kind of, she's, like, kind of nervously laughing. She gets out her phone. Um, she's, you know, kind of, like, texting on her phone. And then she just says, like, uh, I need to go pack um, because she's supposed to leave that day. Mm-hmm. And Stan is like, oh, what do you mean? You know, and she's like, well, you know, in order to get ready in time, I need to go pack. So she goes in the bedroom. Um, she starts, she takes a shower. Um, and then Stan appears in the doorway as she's naked. So she's fully naked out of the shower. She's just pulling her underwear on and he's standing there watching her. And like, this is exactly where you start to get really nervous for her, right? Like, yeah. The way that Fargeau films the scene is so amazing, uh, just to just foreshadowing what's going to happen shortly. Yeah, she knows how to. I mean, in the, at the end as well, I think she's just a master of of tempo and letting that yeah. uh, the tempo of the dialogue, the tempo of um, the edits, all build tension in a way that is unbearable and it, it, in a, in a perfect way. It completely conveys right emotions um which is the big difference between a woman directing a movie like this and a man is she can see it from a woman's perspective and how time distills and how every second feels like an eternity yes and again and again like it's you know uh the woman feeling like she did something wrong or 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 not even feeling like she did something wrong necessarily but it's just that training that's ingrained in us. Like it's our fault if we attract the attention of men. And mm-hmm. like, so like she, she says when she turns around and sees him and screams, he's, he says something like, Oh, I didn't mean to scare you. And she apologizes. She says, no, it's okay. You just surprised me mm-hmm. as if like, as if he's not the one who is at fault here or, creeping on her while she's just trying to get dressed right right (laughs) and and not leaving and not leaving and not leaving Mm -hmm. this whole bedroom scene is so excruciating it's it's just i felt it i've been there and it's you know so he sits on she sits on the bed he sits next to her and he just starts immediately pushing her like Mm -hmm. he's basically like why are we not having sex right now like right what don't you like about me? What is it about me you don't like? And she's trying to like let him down easy. You know, she's, right. she's, you can see her calculating in her mind like, fuck, how do I get out of this? This is a bad situation. My mm. boyfriend's not here to help me. I don't know that other guy. Uh, how am I going to extricate myself from this very dangerous situation? Um, Mm-hmm. She tries every, you know, she tries everything. She tries being soft. She tries to be like, well, you're just not my type. And he pushes her to say exactly what it is. Right. And so she kind of makes up like, a, well, I just, you're just small. And I'm like, oh, baby. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Like, as soon as she said that, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, she said he's short. Oh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she says, I like taller guys. And he, at that point, that's it. The The flip switches on Stan and he gets pissed, you know, and he's like, he's like, well, I haven't changed height since yesterday. And she's like, what do you mean? You know? And he's basically like, I asked you a simple question 
And even your tiny little brain should be able to understand it. I did not change my height since yesterday, and you seemed to like me just fine when we were dancing together. You made it very clear that you wanted me. (laughs) And it's not only that he gets angry, it's Mm -hmm. that he had planned this, this manipulation of the conversation to go down like this. Not that he knew that she would say, you're too short, but he knew right. that he, whatever she said, because she wouldn't be prepared to fight off this completely unnecessary situation, that mm-hmm. he'd be able to, you know, gotcha her, which obviously it's not a gotcha, but it's, it's right. an easy way to trap someone in a corner that when they're already trapped. Right. Uh, because he thinks he's entitled to it. Exactly. Because... Uh, like a lot of men, you know, (laughs) including our fucking current president. Like, he thinks he's entitled to it because she's beautiful Mm -hmm. and she's flirting. She was flirting with him. So that must mean it's okay to take what he wants. Um, And so, you know, this is when it gets very gritty. And this is when, you know, as a first-time viewer of the film, I was like, oh, no, here it comes. And I was, like, really stealing myself Mm-hmm. for what was going to happen next. Um, and indeed, you know, she gets up, he grabs her, he throws her against the glass, you know, he starts touching her. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, yesterday you were dying for it. <sighs> and then right in the middle of this, Dimitri appears in the doorway. And like, again, with Farjo and this like incredible imagery where Dimitri's in the doorway. He's like eating these like chocolate covered gummy bears or something to that effect. He's like chewing them very loudly. It's just this very like strange and like terrifying moment. Stan is seconds away from assaulting her. Dimitri is in the doorway. He could absolutely do something about it. He could stop it. Mm-hmm. He could say something. He could do anything. Instead, he just keeps eating his candy. And Stan basically says, get in here and get it also or leave. And Dimitri leaves. Yep. And turns on the TV so he can't hear her screaming. Yeah. And it's like, you know, pointing to that, the culpability of people around Mm -hmm. other men who do this and don't fucking do anything about it. It just, like, gets me right in the heart. It's just, like, ugh, so real. Um, I'm glad you... So, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. I'm glad you brought up the gross chewing, too, because that's another (laughs) really interesting theme in this film is consumption Mm -hmm. and, and, and the rotting of that. In the beginning, you mentioned she bites the apple Mm -hmm. and drops it. And we return to that apple multiple times in this beginning half and as we watch it rot. And it's a beautiful, um, very clear you know, metaphor for the situation. And it's just uh, every time it's like chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, I particularly like the, the addition of the ant crawling mm-hmm. around on the apple, like really getting into what's going to happen a little bit later. Um, so, yeah, so let's, let's talk a little bit about um, how Farjo filmed the, the actual rape scene because it is very different from anything I've ever seen before. And I 100% commend her for doing it in a way that, like, clearly showed what was going on but didn't show what was going on. So 
Um, so he presses, you know, the last thing you see is him pressing her up against the glass um, from behind and him unzipping his pants and getting ready to assault her. The second Dimitri closes the door, you don't see anything else. Um, you hear Jen screaming. Dimitri turns up the TV. So then you no longer hear anything. Uh, you no longer see anything. There's just one moment where Dimitri uh, walks by the sliding glass window to go out to the pool. You can see Jen's hand. Mm -hmm. And you can hear a mild thumping uh, up against that glass. So... It's horrible and it's awful, but at the same time, I so appreciate not having to watch the act happen as you do in so many other films, you know, including Last House on the Left. Like, it's there's a lot of imagery there that you normally see in these movies that you don't see in this one. And I absolutely believe it's because a woman directed this. Um, Taking it, thinking about Carol Clover's book, she talks about this exactly in her book, you know, Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Um, she talks about how rape revenge films, for the most part, focus really on the woman's suffering. And, uh, and this does, but it's just not, it's just done in a way like, you know it happened, it's awful, but you didn't have to relive whatever trauma you may have experienced by watching it happen, like right up front and center. Totally. I mean, it's the same principle as um, hiding your monster in a monster movie is what you don't see is more terrifying, but it also gives space and respect to victims of assault. So it's a good balance, I think. Mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. if you haven't um, experienced something like that, you've seen enough to know what happens next. You don't need to, to, to wallow in it. Right. Yeah. It doesn't feel gratuitous in mm -hmm. any way. Mm -hmm. um and even uh, speaking of that we didn't really talk we didn't really talk about this but um because there are a lot of shots of jen's body uh in this film mm -hmm. not like completely nude there i think when she's completely nude it's just a very quick glimpse but there are a lot of shots of her ass you know there there are a lot of shots of her curves but it's still it's always amazing to me how, as a woman, I can tell immediately when a woman is filming another woman versus mm -hmm. when a man is, <laughs> is filming a woman. And it's just something about the way that they linger, the way that the camera lingers. The, the female gaze is just so distinctly different from the male gaze. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's not much to add there, except that I mean, she, she is still filming um, her subject sexually because that mm -hmm. is the point of the violence and the injustice of what's happening you know right why she right. needs to seek revenge but it is it is a completely different thing i I'm, i need to rewatch it like a million times because i what is it i don't know if it's the length of the cuts or like mm -hmm. the angles or just maybe it's something more um ethereal than that but yeah you can always tell the difference it's it's amazing yeah God damn it. We need, we need all the female gays. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So Jen has now been assaulted. Richard comes back, uh, not knowing anything has happened, but he could tell immediately something has gone down because Stan and Dimitri are hanging out on the couch and they both look very nervous. Uh, so I just, you know, the first thing Stan says is, 
Listen, there's been a slight problem with Jen. <sighs> I know, God right? Damn it. Jen's not the problem. <laughs> like you are the problem. But, you know, you have you have like a little bit of hope. You're like, "Okay, well, Richard is going to be mad about this. Like, he can't not be mad about it." Right. Um, uh, unfortunately, Ooh, Richard, you know, he starts out being really sweet and uh, he goes in to see Jen and she's, you know, very traumatized. She's been sleeping. She's a wreck. Um, and he says that he'll take care of it. You know, calm down. I'll take care of everything. Don't worry. Uh, he leaves. He comes back. She's been sleeping a while. Um, and so he wakes her up and he says, you know what? I fixed everything. I made a few phone calls. I got you a job in Canada. Um, Here's a piece of paper with an amount of money on it that I transferred to an account for you. You're set. You're good. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, he does this, and I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) He's trying to buy her off. He's like, yeah, he's trying to silence her. Um, So she is immediately like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not going to go work in Canada. What are you doing? Like, no, we need to go to the police like I need to get out of here I need to go home mm-hmm. um and so then he's he kind of like cuts in with this fucking ugh, this bullshit of like well you know like you're so damn beautiful it's just too hard to resist you yep so it's not Stan's fault it's your fault for just being too hot <laughs> yeah I mean what what, um, what did you think what did you think was going to happen it's like is essentially what he's saying, which is yeah. unbelievable. Like, oh, you can't be in a remote place with three men and not expect all three men to want to have sex with you because you're hot. <laughs> That's yeah. all you're good for. Um, so anyway, Jen is does not take kindly to this comment. So she kind of loses her shit and says, uh, if you don't get me the helicopter and take me home right now, I'm going to call your wife. Which is a great threat. Yeah, it's a great threat, except that that's what tips Richard over into murder. So he basically hits her, loses his shit himself, yells at her, tells her never to speak about his wife. Um, threatens her with more violence. And then he leaves briefly and she starts running. She just starts running out into the desert because she knows like he might kill her. Uh, which is just like she, when she does this, I'm like, oh no, like there's no, there's clearly nowhere for you to go. You know, you, you don't have the keys to any of the cars. Um, there's nothing around here. Like, where are you going? And the second that Dimitri and Stan see her running and Richard running after her, they also run after her. Um, which is just, oh, I love this next scene. I love that moment, though, because even though you're totally right, it's like she has nowhere to go, right? Even had she stayed, mm-hmm. she'd still have nowhere to go. And it's the first hint that, like, she's more than they bargained for. Yeah, like it she's not She's not going to be silenced. It does not matter if there's nowhere to go. She's still going. Right. She is not going to uh, sit around and wait for whatever is going to happen to her to happen to her. She's going to make an effort to fight back. Yeah. Um. So knowing that she's, like, physically not a match for Richard, who's, of course, totally ripped and much bigger than her, um, she runs. And they all follow, uh, and they get to the edge of a cliff. 
and she's standing there and you know at this point she's still like she's in underwear and a t-shirt essentially um so she's not equipped she doesn't have shoes on she doesn't have anything except her ipod and her headphones uh and a lighter and so she is standing there and richard doubles down and basically like tricks her into thinking that he's called the helicopter in order to get her to come back with them uh and so there's like this moment where you can see that she is kind of like believing him right because like this is her boyfriend and she's probably in love with him and like she's probably been with him for a while and so she assumes like even though he was cruel to her earlier and hit her like maybe he's coming around maybe he realizes his friends are shitbags and like he's gonna help so she has this moment of hope on her face that I like as I was watching I'm like this is going to go very badly mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know it but you have this hope on your face and I feel so bad for you right now and then Richard just pushes her off the cliff um, and she lands on this tree it just impales her and it's this very gory scene it's it's like very gross mm-hmm. and so what's interesting to what's really interesting to me about this scene is that the guy who actually raped her stan is the only one who seems somewhat remorseful about this turn of events so right it's really interesting so like richard looks over and he's basically like shrug we'll have to take care of that later dimitri has like no reaction like nothing and stan is the one who's like freaking out not not even necessarily at this point because he's afraid for his own the own con- his consequences more just like i can't believe you killed her how could you kill her you know and i'm like okay so like this is indicative to me that like stan thinks that one thing is like allowed and another thing is not like he has a very clear division of like what's allowed in the treatment of women and what's not right and right. so to him murder is just like one step too far and he can't deal with it he he doesn't have the stomach for it and if i, I find that fascinating because i it seems i do, am not actively in the company of fucking rapists i've probably right. i've probably been around some without knowing which makes me sick mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i don't keep company with those kinds of people so i can't say for sure but i like that he has that um that conflicted response because it shows to me how to be a rapist he has normalized and mental gymnastics his way into thinking that it's something he's allowed to do which we saw previously when you know they're all kind of repeating the same thing of like well you're just so hot like it's right that's what men do when they're around hot women um it's it's interesting I agree. I find it much more interesting for that to be the case than to have all three of the men be straight up like super evil. Yeah. You know, Um, that there are layers and dimensions to them. It doesn't mean they're good guys. It just means like that there are men out there who literally think that they are good guys, but who will still assault a woman because they sexy danced with them, you know, like and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do find that really interesting. Uh, and so, you know, so we we think that, I mean, obviously we, we're watching the movie, so we know she's not dead, but they think she's dead. She looks dead for sure. Um, I mean, she's like impaled on a branch and there's a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's in this like incredibly contorted uh, position, which is crazy to me. 
So they go back, you know, the, the men go back uh, with plans to just go on their hunting trip as planned and then clean up the mess of Jen along the way. So Richard's just like, <laughs> this is the part that just kills me. Richard, the one, the guy who's supposed to love her, you know, the guy who's supposed to care about her is like burning her shit. He's like throwing her clothes in the fire. He's calling his wife and pretending like nothing happened uh, for his alibi. Um, and again, like when we get back to Stan, who's like nervous about this whole situation now. And he says, like, what are we going to do about Jen? And Richard says, who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Stan says, Jen, like, he can't believe that Richard is like, you know, and Richard says in response, never heard of her. <laughs> I know. It's straight sociopathic shit. Like, that is cold. <laughs> I don't, like, I've watched this movie like five times. And the, on this time, I don't know why that, that one line got to me more than like any other thing in this movie. I was like, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it says so much about like, um, violence and dismissal of women in different ways like a sexual assault is a nightmarishly awful thing but it's equally awful to see that the person who's supposed to care about her can dismiss her immediately you know what does that really say about the consensual experiences she thought she was having i know you know it's just Uh, there's a lot there much to unpack much to think about for the viewer yeah, and and taking it even like further, uh, when they when the men go back to that same cliff, um, but I love this scene so much. By the way, so mm-hmm. they they you know we get we get a cut back to Jen. Uh, we discover that she's still alive, although very very wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about this first of all. There's this incredible scene of like the blood splatter falling on this ant i don't even know they must have cgi'd that in some way but it looks real um she wakes up she realizes that she's hurt she she realizes she has to get out she has to get off of this tree that she's impaled on if she's gonna make it she she recognizes that they're probably coming back for her she is makes such a smart decision here um you know she looks around she sees her ipod she sees her lighter um she puts it together. She stretches. This is, oh, man, this scene is so excruciating, the way that they film this with, like, the tree mm-hmm. <laughs> coming out of her bloody wound. And, like, when she moves, just having her be like, Ugh. Yeah. But <laughs> um, she gets her lighter. She sets the tree underneath her on fire so that it falls over and she's able to crawl away just like seconds before the men arrive and look over the cliff, she presses herself up flat against the cliff face and they can't see her. Incredible. It's just like the timing of that scene, the way it comes together. It's just, oh, it's beautiful. Um, It is. And painful, excruciating. There are multiple sequences in this that are just cringe inducing in, in such a, I mean, if you love horror. Yeah that you and you love it extreme like they they come together in this multiple times it's very gory yeah it's very gory um so yeah i love that scene and 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 then it's also worth noting at this point we sort of flip to a a new color palette right um this is sort of like the hunt color palette of the desert these Mm -hmm. like deep oranges um 
and of course the red blood so much so much blood uh, but these deep oranges and browns and um, we sort of moved on from that candy colored lolita palette to this rougher uh, more natural sort of color palette and landscape desert rambo desert rambo yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh but there is also there is also a line here that happens when the men discover that she has she's not impaled on the tree anymore that i found very interesting where again, Stan is like, hey, maybe it's not too late. Um, if she, maybe she's okay. We could take her to the hospital. We could say it was an accident. We'll get lawyers. They'll think of something they always do. Yes. That one stuck out to me this time too. So these men have done something like this before. You know, some, some kind of entanglement has happened where they've had to call in lawyers and it's cool because those male lawyers, they'll, they'll fix it. They'll fix it all. Right. Right. Ooh, man. Well, it's probably, you know, quote that you said have done something before. I mean, it's probably, it's pretty obvious that it's rape because <laughs> that is the kind yeah. of thing that lawyers are routinely known for doing to protect right. men, you know, discredit women, come up with, so come up with something, you know, oh, you mean you you drink alone or whatever the question might be yeah. to try to put yeah. you know moral superiority on the man and all, yeah. off, off of the woman well everybody saw you dancing with him mm -hmm. you know everybody saw you rubbing up against him you were flirting with him exactly so you went there uh, alone you you yeah. didn't you went there with him alone but you didn't know that he was going to have friends there and you didn't think to ask like that kind yeah. of stuff it's like oh my god Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, boy. <sighs> so, uh, so now we are we are kicked into like the hunt. Uh, these men are hunting Jen. She is the prey. They are hunting her, even though Stan is a very reluctant hunter. Dimitri and Richard are really the ones that are into this game. They are all about it. Um, Dimitri uh, has not really said much up until this point. Actually, one of the things that I really love about this movie is there's not very much dialogue at all. Like as a yeah. whole, there's I think maybe like 14 minutes of dialogue or something. Um, it's really all about imagery and soundscapes. Very bloody soundscapes. Yes. Very good Foley. Uh, so Jen is, you know, she is there not too far behind her because she's very injured and can only really crawl or walk slowly. Um, she gets in uh, a body of water, some kind of pond or something. She's running from them. She comes upon Dimitri and she sees his gun propped up against a rock. So it's, you can see in her face, like she's, she's like kind of makes this decision to like fight back at this point. Like she could still hide. But she knows she doesn't have very long. She knows she's wounded. She needs to find help. So right. she sees Dimitri's gun. She grabs it. She confronts him. And unfortunately, Dimitri is a little bit smarter than we expected him to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did not put bullets in the gun. He did this on purpose. He put that gun out there knowing that if she saw it, she would grab it. So he starts drowning her. Uh, 
and it is terrifying. Um, he, while he's doing this, he radios Stan and tells Stan, like, I've got her. I'll take care of it. Uh, you go back to the car and wait for me. And you can just tell that Stan is, like, visibly relieved. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just like, oh, thank God I don't have to deal with it, even though I am the whole reason that this is happening. Whew. Right. My friends are going to take care of it for me. Um, so th- there's this amazing juxtaposition of Stan in the car, like listening to this upbeat pop music, uh, with these scenes of Jen being drowned by Dimitri. And when I, you know, when you first watch it, you have no idea how it's going to go. Like, I was like, what is going to happen here? She is, he's way larger than she is. Uh, she is hurt. He is not. Well, Dimitri, even though he's smart, was not smart enough to remove his giant knife <laughs> from his belt. So yep. Jen grabs it and just fucking stabs him in the eyes. And it is the best moment of all time. Just like so satisfying it's so watching good. her stab him. <laughs> um, but before we talk, before I, we celebrate her stabbing him, I have to say something I noticed this time. Um, I think that the music, the iPod that Stan plugs in is hers. Yeah, I think it is. I yeah. think it is. Because they went down to the tree, she's gone, and I think yeah. he picked it up. And that just like that, it's the continued themes of ownership, mm-hmm. and uh, it's so subtle. You blink and you'll miss it, but it's just another reminder of the like, the yeah, the owner, the, the, the owning of this woman, her things. It's just awful. And yeah, and the song is like like a, a love song. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. he makes my heart skip a beat, driving up in his brand new car, like poppy love song. And oof, you yeah. know, just like realizing like, oh, that's how she felt about Richard just like yesterday. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Right. And there's uh, another thing with this whole thing is, you know, obviously if you're drowning a character in a, in a scene – and the character needs to survive, you need to bring them up for air. So there's a practical reason in a scene where one character is drowning another, they'll pull them up and there'll be dialogue, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's just something that practically you have to do. But what's so mm-hmm. interesting in, in the context of the film is that if Dimitri had just held her down and not wanted to taunt her, oh, you yeah. know, which is what the character's motivation is, mm-hmm. uh, he probably could have succeeded in killing her. But yeah. He had to fucking, like, tell her his whole evil plan because he was so confident that he could, you know, defeat her. Yeah. That it was his undoing. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so satisfying to just watch his body sink uh, into the pond. And then, and, you know, now she's got a vehicle. She's got a weapon. She's got some supplies, not many, but some. Mm-hmm. So she she drives off uh, further into the desert. She finds a cave to hide out in, uh, and then she then we get this amazing like peyote filled Rambo sequence. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Where like again with the gore, she like cuts the tree out of her stomach, which is just like ooh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, cuts up this beer can. Uh, heats it up in the fire that she made and then sears the wound close with that cut up beer can, which burns the phoenix on the label into her stomach, uh, which I fucking love. 
And it's so funny because I've, in the course of talking about this movie to other uh, film critics, a couple, not just one, but a couple of male critics have said to me, Ugh, but that stupid scene where she sears the phoenix into her flesh is so dumb. (laughs) It's so unrealistic. And I'm like, okay, listen, I have never heard any of y'all say anything about Rambo being not being realistic one but two who the fuck cares like (laughs) one she's on a peyote filled trip in this cave so you could absolutely infer like she you could make the judgment that like she's an unreliable narrator and maybe the phoenix is not literal Mm -hmm. one two even if it is literal it looks fucking cool as shit (laughs) exactly (laughs) yes Exactly. This girl is now in her underwear with a burnt phoenix pressed into her flesh on one side, a giant burn on her back from her escape earlier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, She's fixed the problem of bleeding out by doing this. She's strapped on a gun. She's strapped on weaponry. She's got a flashlight. She's got a big fucking knife. I am here for it. Yeah, I, it just, it's such a funny argument because, duh, of course it's, like, yeah, of course it's unrealistic. What the, the on both sides of the coin, there are people being, like, wounded in ways that is unrealistic. But that's the point. Like, it's not, it's not a surgical documentary. Like, I don't right. understand. We are, this is, like you said, it's in Rambo, it's in Predator, the people stomach wounds are very malleable in creative (laughs) fiction okay so yeah absolutely she'd probably have died from that by then who cares (sighs) like I just it's such a silly complaint in my opinion I know it is uh yeah Uh, as is like I have also heard because she does Jen does have um a couple of very vivid hallucinatory dreams while mm-hmm. she's resting in this cave. And uh, it involves uh, her head exploding, not once, but a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people complain about that too, but I'm like, but I mean, this girl is like, she's hours from being traumatized. Like she's, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's been raped. She's been hit. She's been pushed off a cliff. She's being hunted by her boyfriend. Like, what do you think is going to happen? right (laughs) she drops peyote and is trying to just like survive (laughs) and it speaks i mean and there's a deeper meaning there i think too because it's that cyclical nature of dealing with trauma Mm -hmm. is that you get through the range of emotions and then bam it hits you again you know you don't get um, most people don't get a linear like this was bad. Now I'm sad. Now I'm healing, and now I'm better. You know, it, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a washing machine of grief. And I don't know. I, I that's what I saw in that is like it's you right. get you're trapped in, with the feelings that someone else forced on you. Yeah, she's trapped. She has to sit with it, and the she knows the odds of her surviving are low. Mm-hmm. Like she is gonna go out with a fight. She is going to die fighting. But I don't. Like, I don't believe she ever thinks she's going to win. I think, like, she just is like, these men did this thing to me, and I am going to show them 
that I am not an object they can throw away. I am not somebody that will go away quietly. I am not somebody who will crawl off and die. I am going to come at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she does. She comes at them. Uh, so when Stan and Richard find Dimitri's bloated body floating, uh, floating around, again, like Richard is like, shrug. Oh, well, he's mad. He is mad that, like, she has bested one of them. But Stan, the rapist, panics. He's just like, oh, fuck. Now we're in trouble. Like, now she's going to come after us. Right. So we get to fast forward to this great scene Mm -hmm. with her up against Stan. uh, That is incredible. It goes on for a long time, but I think it is every second is worth it. Um, so she comes, she comes upon him. He runs out of gas. Stan runs out of gas and he's refilling the tank. She's got this gun. I love this scene so much because what I loved about it is she shoots at him, but she does not automatically know how to use that gun in a perfect way. It knocks her the fuck down. She does. She is not aware of the kickback of this thing. It is a big gun. Yeah. Um, actually, I was one of the interviews I watched. She said it's a, it was a real gun that they used, and she could only hold it for a certain amount of time before she had to put it down because it was so heavy. Wow. So, um, so yeah, the kickback throws her down. She gets him in the shoulder, but it's not a fatal wound, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I love this part. He takes off his shoe. What a fucking idiot. <laughs> to like tie his sock around his shoulder and stop himself from bleeding out. Mm-hmm. And he starts pursuing her. He's he's also got a gun now. So he starts chasing her. She's running with her gun. Uh, he manages to shoot her ear off, which is very gross. Also, her little star earring goes flying off into right. the rocks. Um, so she's wounded now. She's being pursued by him. He's got a gun. She, I love her so much. She breaks her fucking flashlight. And this motherfucker with his bare foot steps right on the glass. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and again, so satisfying to see this guy go down. Like, it's satisfying to see him shut and scream like a baby. But more satisfying, I think, to see him step on this glass because we all know at some point in our lives, we have all stepped on something, a tack, a needle, some piece of glass. We know how painful a little tiny sliver of glass is in our foot. Mm -hmm. This guy gets a giant piece of glass stuck in his foot. Yeah. And there's, there's, again, I'm sorry to be so themey today, but like there's something to that too. There's one thing to be shot. There's another thing to have something it's stuck in your body Mm, mm, you know penetrating yep and now you have to be the one to remove it even though you're already in pain you know yep it's it's uh it's sweet sweet poetic justice yeah man i mean she penetrates him a few times so Mm -hmm. uh that is some justice right there uh so yeah there is absolutely you know i'm a huge fan of gore i love gory film i love extreme gore but oh man do i have to look away when he's digging that piece of glass out of his foot yeah because <laughs> it is a long scene <laughs> and there is some excellent foley happening in that scene when he's digging around in there i have to cover my eyes for that last part of it or i can't i can't do it 
And I mean, um, I, think, I think we have to, what's his name? Vincent Columbay, I think is his name. Yes. The actor. Yes. What a performance. I mean, what a, I, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. You're absolutely right. He's so good. And, and I often forget to compliment actors who are playing rapists for obvious <laughs> reason. Like, right. Because when they do it well, you, you transfer that disgust onto the actor. You don't even think about it, right? Because right. Because right. all three of them disappear into these characters. But they, mm-hmm. what incredible work, especially from, from Stan. Yeah. And again, bringing it back to a woman director, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is not about these men. No. They feature prominently in it. You see a lot of them, but it is very clear that Jen is the main character. It is very clear that she is the most important person that mm-hmm. we need to pay attention to here. Um, and I think that when men direct these kinds of movies, that message gets jumbled and yeah. it isn't always clear, you know? Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate that. But um, so we now, <laughs> Stan is very enraged about this um, and he decides he's just going to run her down in the car. And again, I love it. I love that Jen, you know, clearly she doesn't think she's going to be able to hold her own against getting run over by a car, but she still plays chicken with it. Mm -hmm. She still stops in the middle of the road. She turns around with the gun and she just starts shooting. Yep. And she, and she gets him. She blows his goddamn brains out. And again, so satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) So satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now she has a car. Yeah. So. Um, Thanks for filling up the, the tank, Stan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for doing that so I can go back to the, the villa. For the ultimate, ultimate climax in a movie in like, uh, I mean, there are many good ones over the hundred years of cinema, but this one freaking it's so good. stands up. It's so good. Um, and everything plays like this, everything about this movie, the cinematography, the muse, the music, the soundtrack. I mean, the colors, the every decision is like perfect, in my opinion. It, it, it's masterful. It's a masterful film. Even if you like, uh, you know, if you don't enjoy the genre, totally valid. Or if you don't, I don't know, you just what you don't enjoy the story. Like it, it's inarguable that she is a extremely talented director yeah so um yes so now i'm like why hasn't she made another movie where is her new movie but um (laughs) maybe i'll maybe i'll try to talk to her and find out what's happening with that um so now uh richard realizes he goes back to meet stan um at this abandoned uh our tv atv and uh, Stan doesn't show, and Richard realizes, ah, oh, fuck, I think she got him. So instead of doing anything else, instead of continuing to haunt her himself, he just decides to flee. Yep. <laughs> which, which I'm like, you fucking coward. You know, like you mm-hmm. were so tough this whole time, but now that she's taken out your friends, you're like, I got to get out of here. Um, so he goes back to the villa. He calls his helicopter pilot. And I love this so much. He actually, the helicopter pilot asks about the hunt and he says, I'm the winner by default. Yeah. <laughs> sociopath. He's a sociopath. I know. So he goes to take a shower. Uh, here's something. He comes out of the shower. So now he's like totally naked. He's wet. 
Um, he goes back out to get his gun, and there's this amazing tracking shot of him. There are actually, I think, three separate tracking shots that look like they were all one smooth shot. I don't mm-hmm. know, but god damn it, they look like it. Where we're following Richard with his gun going around this, like, hallway in the villa looking for Jenny. He doesn't see her. The TV turns on, and it's, like, this crazy loud <laughs> shopping club USA Mm-hmm. commercial which is so awkward um and i was like i'm sure that this is some kind of statement about american capitalism but um so <laughs> so jen uh he eventually turns around and sees jen in front of the pool with the gun pointed at him um and again it's just like this amazing moment of her challenging him mm-hmm. you know and he knows he's caught. He knows she's going to shoot him. Uh, she does. <laughs> yep. But he also uh, gets away, gets his gun. Um, it's great, though, because he is just bleeding out like crazy. There is blood, like, all over this villa. I I actually just wonder, like, how that cleanup happened. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Again, like, bringing it back, like, one of the interviews, uh, Coralie was like, uh, yeah, so we kept running out of blood because I wanted more blood. <laughs> I had to ship more blood in from France. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, so, like, I just, like, when I looked at the end scene of all the blood, I was like, wow, how did they clean that place that they rented? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they must have had to repaint. <laughs> so Totally. So I love that, like, he actually, like, uh, he wraps around, wrap around himself to stop himself from bleeding. But at one point, um, she slips in his blood because it's it's just all over. Mm-hmm. He grabs her and he starts choking her. And that's, yeah, that's when we have, like, the, you know, he's basically like, who the fuck do you think you are? You thought you could win against me. You had to put up a fight. Women always have to put up a fucking fight. Yep. Which is exactly when... She presses on his gun wound, gets the better of him, and kills him <laughs> with her gun. And yep. everybody's like, yay! It's, it, you know what's cool about that, too, is, like, um, or, or what I found significant in that final bit is, you know, he's choking her out after mm-hmm. hitting her with the gun, the butt of the gun. Yeah. Um, which knocked her out clearly no more than a second because he could have right. gotten to the gun and, and killed her. Um, and he's choking her out. And he's having this whole, um, you know, he's dressing her down, right? But she can't even hear him anymore. She's been hit in the head. He's choking her out. And it's an awful thing. But in a way, I almost found it empowering because it's like, what you have to say doesn't matter anymore. At this point, I've made it this far. I am going to survive and you are going to die. Right. And again, like he could have shot her, but he had to display his power. Mm Mm-hmm by choking her to death and that is his downfall you know like all of these men died because they had to take their fucking time killing her you know he could have just beaten her with the butt of the gun yeah you know until she died but no yeah they they kept they kept giving her space to get back in there yeah so I love this this uh, this scene of her walking out of the villa, just covered in blood, rebirthed, if you will, uh, 
from this experience and then that you hear the helicopter and she turns towards it and she has this very like feral look about her mm-hmm. you know and that's it and you don't get to see what happens next and i i love that i i don't want to see the resolution like i did not no. want to see the helicopter guy getting out and being like what the fuck i yeah. did not want to know no that's it that's all i need to know she won she got him yep <laughs> yeah very satisfying she what she was trying to survive and in trying to survive she got revenge yes the perfect revenge agenda so uh <laughs> i yes so listen the reason adrian and i decided to do this film by the way is because we had the election here uh our preferred candidate won the election but the tiny child that is in the white house w- refuses to fucking leave and so <laughs> He refuses to leave. He's killing everybody in the country by refusing to do anything about COVID uh, or offer any kind of assistance or anything. So we were kind of mad and we were like, hey, let's do a movie that makes us feel good. Uh, Specifically, a movie about smashing the fucking patriarchy because that feels appropriate. Yes. And there you go, friends. So we decided to talk about revenge. Hopefully by the time this is released, uh, some kind of resolution will happen, but I doubt it. That fucker's not going to concede. They are going to have to drag him out of the White House kicking and screaming. That's the only way it's going to go. Yep. It's, it's, I don't have words left to describe the uh, disappointing nature of everything. Everything. Literally everything. (laughs) Yeah. In the world. Uh, but you know what? We are we are going to keep doing our best to get through it. And we are going to keep talking about women-directed horror films. And we are going to keep saying, fuck, fuck the, the patriarchy. patriarchy. Yes. Um, that's our motto. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's our mission here. Yeah. It's a good. Splattercast. It's a good movie. And I, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out. It's not for everyone. As any movie is sure, but, but you know you don't have to, you you don't have to love it. No, but, but like, we do. But we do, and I encourage you to watch it. Um, and I totally get if you can't. I totally get if it seems like too much. Even though I feel like as a survivor, it's the best thing I've ever seen about. It's the best thing in this genre that I've ever seen. Um, but I understand if you can't. It's a hard thing. Uh, I just, I just love Coralie and I love Matilda for bringing us this goodness and this fantasy that I can just like play out in my mind and insert different males (laughs) into the roles of the murdered. So (laughs) thank you. Yes. For making this film. Thank you. This is great. All right. I think we did it. We did it. Yay. Yay. friends it's amy thanks so much for listening to the i love splatter podcast i really really appreciate it 
Hey, uh, here's the part where I beg y'all for some reviews. If you have a minute, can you drop us a review on Apple Podcasts? That'll help us raise our profile and find more people to listen to us talk about women-directed horror films. Uh, speaking of, join Adrian and I next time for our holiday episode. We are going to talk about Black Christmas 2019, directed by Sophia Takal and written by her and April Wolf. Okay, that's all I got. Bye!